My name is Bruce Hanke, and I am an elder here at Onalaska Church of Christ. And since this is one of Craig's few Sundays off, he searched high and low for some wise, engaging, and talented speaker to take his place. I've never done this before. Unable to find that person, he asked me, and I was willing to accept that honor. So if my message today has a meaningful impact on your Christian walk, thank the Lord. If it doesn't, blame him. Craig and the elders had a lot of discussions and, and prayer about the direction of God's church here at OCC, and in the course of those discussions, we keep reminding ourselves, <clears throat> as we've shared with you in Sunday school and as we've shared with you um, at the annual meeting, that our approach to growing as Christians is based on three great commandments. The first one is referred to as the great commandments, or the first two, and there's the great commission. When asked which was the greatest commandment in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Over the next year, you're going to hear a lot about the Great Commission and making disciples. And Craig's going to be doing a multi-week series, and we're beginning growth groups, about loving your neighbor. But the first commandment is the foundation. It's the motivation. It's the driving force. And if you can't commit to that, then you're unlikely to be successful at any of the rest. So that's what I'm going to focus on today. To many of us, the concept of loving God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul might seem pretty straightforward, but the reality is we all fall short. Doing anything with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength is next to impossible. We're easily distracted by worldly events, our daily needs and our wants, the pursuit of our own happiness. The only way we can actually do what God calls us to do is with and through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And by tapping into God's power. If I ask the average Christian, do you love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul? They'd probably say yes. The reason for that is because we tend to think of love in human terms. And those terms can be pretty weak. However, to accomplish this kind of love God requires, we need to think of it in godly terms and measure it by godly standards. When we start out as children, we have a pretty narrow definition of love. We kind of put, I love cartoons and Twinkies on the same level as I love mommy and daddy. Love was, love was reserved for things that brought us joy or for which we had great affection. As we got into our teen years, we probably began to experience a love that is really more of an infatuation. We often base it on things like physical appearance or popularity or how cool your boyfriend's car was. As we started to go beyond that, we might have looked deeper but our definition of love probably remained pretty superficial and mostly focused on ourselves. Does the other person look the way I want them to? Do they do what I want them to? Do they give me things? Do they make me happy? Unfortunately, many people never get past this stage. When they don't get what they want, they'll move on to another relationship with comments like, I just wasn't getting enough from this relationship. She just wasn't make, making me happier. She didn't meet my needs. When they end the relationship, they may say to that person, don't feel bad. It's not you, it's me. But if they're being honest, 
they'd probably say, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but it, it was you. Some people, even worse, think it's better to have a mediocre relationship than none at all. So they stick with this relationship for a long time. They live together like roommates. They say, I love you. They say goodnight with a passionless kiss. They roll over and they go to sleep, only to wake up the following morning and just go through the motions again, like a comfortable habit, rather than with any intent or effort to grow, in that, uh, grow that love into something more. What God is looking for, though, is a mature, committed relationship. He wants your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. He wants it all. If a gambler has a supreme confidence in his poker hand, a betting option he has is to shove everything to the front of the table and say, I'm all in. By making this bet, he realizes that there's no turning back. He's willing to risk everything. He's 100% committed. The reason people seldom make this bet, though, is they don't truly believe in their hand. The hard part about making this bet is there's no guarantees. The beautiful thing about a commitment to God is it has a guarantee. John 14, 23 says, and in John 14, 23, Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and he will come to them and make our home with them. If we accept Jesus as our savior and commit ourselves to obeying God, And following his commandments, he assures us that he will take care of our needs. That he'll be there always. That he'll make himself available and his strength and his protection available. And ultimately, that we can have eternal life in his presence. In other words, God is always a safe bet. So the question is, what stops us from committing to this deeper relationship with God? It might help us to answer this question by asking, what stops you from committing to any loving relationship? On a human level, if you look at a successful marriage as an example, and you ask people in them why they're successful, you'll find certain things that come up over and over, certain qualities, traits, characteristics. For instance, most would say that trust is an important part, mutual respect, the ability to communicate honestly and openly with your partner, being selfless, putting the other person first, making them a focus of your actions. Being committed is not just saying for richer or poorer, in sickness or health, through nagging and annoying, till death do us part, but truly meaning it. And if you do truly mean it, it's going to show through your actions. We know what a loving, committed marriage is supposed to look like. So at the very least, that's a good place to start an assessment of our relationship and our level of commitment to God. I've heard men say, I don't need to tell my wife that I love her, she knows it. But the question is, how does she know it? Do my actions show it? I can say I love you and not truly feel it. I can say it out of obligation or expectation. And I can do things for my wife, but actually have selfish motives for them. You can say, I work hard to put food on the table and a roof over your head. But wouldn't you work hard to put food on the table and a roof over your head? Are you doing it for her? Or are you simply sharing with her what you would have already done? In other words, is serving her the the motive that's driving your behavior? Or are you simply including her where it's convenient as you serve your own self-interest? God wants to be your focus. He doesn't want to be an afterthought. He doesn't want you to make plans and say, Oh, and you know what? I can use this to serve God. 
He doesn't want us to simply go through the motions out of a sense of obligation or tradition. In Zechariah 7, 3 through 6, the people of Bethel sent the men to ask uh, the priests and prophets questions. And one they asked was, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month, as I have done for so many years? To which Zechariah replies, then the word of the Lord came to me. Ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? And you were eating, when you were eating and drinking, were you not feasting for yourselves? <clears throat> if he were speaking to us here today, would he perhaps ask, is your worship on Sunday really focused on me? Are you just here to be fed? Or are you here to praise and worship me for who I am and what I've done? Is your time and treasure being used to further your agenda or my kingdom? I think he probably appreciates that when we accidentally serve his purpose through our actions, but I have no doubt that it brings him much more joy when we intentionally act with his will and his desire in mind. My wife's birthday was just last week. If I had given my wife a gift card to Barnes & Noble, I told her to go buy some books, she would have been happy. She just loves to read. If I had done something a little more elaborate, said, hey, here's a hotel reservation, beautiful hiking trails nearby. Why don't you take your best friend, Mara, and why don't you go spend a nice girls' weekend with her? That also probably would have made her happy. But if I said to her, hey, April, I reserved a weekend at a bed and breakfast where we can drive a few hundred miles away to sit on a porch, look at a beautiful view, listen to a babbling book brook while reading, that would bring her a lot more joy. The reason for that is because she would know I have no desire to pay a lot of money, to travel long distances, to sleep in somebody else's bed, to traipse through woods while being eaten by mosquitoes because they seem to love me much more than her, while sitting sweating on some stranger's porch. It's not my idea of a good time. I would never do that on my own. She would know that the only reason I would be doing this would be because I was focused on her and what brings her joy. What's your motivation, and who are you focused on in your relationship with God? I think we'd also agree that trust is important in a committed relationship. If you're like me, though, you probably don't trust people automatically. Our trust is usually something earned by people. They earn it through being consistent. They earn it by showing that they're not self-absorbed. They earn it by having it given to them and not breaking it. If you say you trust your spouse, but then ask them to account for every moment of their day, or you get a little nervous when you see them talking to someone attractive, you don't really trust them. The statement, I trust you, but was just checking, is a lie. If I trust my spouse, it's because I know who she is. I know what she values. I know where I stand, and I know she values me and our relationship. Could her feelings change? Yep. Could she have a moment of temptation with another man as a human being? Could she fail me? Yes. But I choose to trust her because I know her. And failure to trust her would always get in the way of me loving her completely and selflessly. I don't believe you can truly love God and grow in that love for God if you can't completely trust God. We can't say, I trust you, Lord, but just in case, I'm going to do what I think would work. We can't say, I know the Bible says this, and the Holy Spirit seems to be guiding me here, but don't you think this might work a little better? Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. 
In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Not some of your ways, not most of them, not when it's convenient, all of them, always. I know I can trust him because of who he is and what he's done. God's willing to sacrifice his own son to redeem us. God's love has always been constant, consistent, available. God does what he says he's going to do. There's never been a time in my life when I have truly trusted in the Lord and he has ever let me down. That doesn't mean that like some genie, he grants my wishes or does everything on my timeline. What it does mean is I can always count on him using me when I make myself available to serve his purpose. I can always count on him guiding me in the right direction. On him fulfilling his promises to me. If we trust God, we'll do what he says. Even when we can't completely understand it. Sarah said, how can I have a baby? I am physically unable. Moses said, how am I supposed to convince Pharaoh to let your people go? Peter said, I can't come to you. I can't walk on water. God says, trust me, I've got this. All we need to do is focus on him and obey, even when we don't understand. Even when we don't think we can. Even when we're afraid. Do you trust God enough to obey him? If you don't really know and trust someone, you aren't likely to really be honest with them and allow yourself to be vulnerable before them. One way to develop that kind of trust is through open and honest communication. In relationships that are struggling, it's not uncommon to hear a wife uh, complaining about her husband saying, he never listens to me. Or a husband who might say, my wife just doesn't understand me. You know, my wife and I recently participated in a marriage group on Zoom through my daughter's church. And I really didn't feel like I needed any marriage enhancement. I thought I was doing a pretty good job anyway. But I did like the class, and I especially liked one of our homework assignments. Not at the time. We were asked to write 25 things we delighted in about our spouse that we were going to share with our spouse later. And I remember thinking, 25? Seriously? How about a top 10 list? In reality, though, once I started focusing on why I love her, I actually had to edit my list to get it down to 25. When we shared our list with each other, I was surprised to find that one of the things my wife wrote was that it made her happy that whenever she would come into the room and start talking to me, I turned the TV off or pause what I was doing and really listen to her. We want people to value us enough to listen, and we want to know that we've been heard. That's the same in our relationship with God. He wants our actions to show that we have listened. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. He can communicate with us in a number of ways, like through the Holy Spirit's urging, through prayer, and through scripture. But recently, I never gave much thought to how he knows I'm listening to him. Hearing something is not the same as listening and understanding it. You ever heard one of your children get an attitude and say, I heard you. They might have heard you, but they weren't listening. You ever read the directions in a recipe or look at the directions on a box of brownies? Even when a recipe that you've done many times before, say, I got that down, and you throw the box away. And a few minutes later, you're digging in the trash again to pull that box out because you forgot some important detail. Sometimes I find myself reading the Bible that way. 
I saw the words. I know what it said. But I didn't truly listen in a way that allows me to now go and apply them in my life. I didn't ask myself, how does this apply to my relationship with God? What's he telling me to do here? How might he be using these words to answer my prayers and to guide my actions? I'm certain God delights in those moments when he can see through our actions that we listened to him and understood. The same is true with prayer. When I pray, I pray, and I pray a lot, not necessarily on my knees or in seclusion or before my bed or with my hands clasped or my eyes closed, especially when I'm driving, but I openly and honestly converse with him quite often. I ask for God's wisdom. I ask for his discernment, for him to guide my actions, to help me understand. But I'm embarrassed to say how often I don't really listen. I often just jump right back into the business of my life or get distracted by other things rather than sitting quietly, recalling scripture, being still in his presence, and actually listening to how he responded. God has expectations that the listening goes both ways. Zechariah 7, 11 through teen says, but they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and covered their ears. They made their heart as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. When I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen, says the Lord Almighty. There is an expectation of two-way communication. We can't say we completely love God when we can't even talk to him openly and honestly and we don't do our best to listen and respond. The last two important parts of a loving relationship I'm going to talk about, I'm going to combine because they're so interwoven. If I truly love someone, I will value them. If I value them, I'd be willing to sacrifice for them. If you want to know who someone deeply loves, ask them, would you die for that person? Ask them, what are you willing to give up for that person? Ask them, how have you placed that person's welfare before your own in your life? John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. I'd like to believe that if a person pulled out a gun on the street and started shooting, that I'd be willing to try to protect other people and lay down my life. But I can't say with any certainty that I would, especially depending on who those people were. However, I can say without a doubt in my mind, that I would not hesitate to lay down my life for my wife, for my children, for my grandchildren. The reason I can say that is because I love them on a whole different level. I value them more deeply than any other person on earth, including myself. If I truly love God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, then I'd be willing to give my life for his service. I'd be willing to step out of my comfort zone I'd be willing to do what he wants without regard for what I want. If I can't even sacrifice watching a Packer game some Sunday, going golfing, spending time with friends, trying to get something done around my house, pretty much any of the things that I just want to get done or I really enjoy in order to serve God, in order to worship him, then I'm only pretending that I'm fully committed to him. So if you aren't there, don't despair. Love is a growing thing, and no matter what stage you're at, there's always room to grow. Even though I love my wife dearly, 
I know there are times in my marriage when I've been content to just go through the motions and settle into a comfortable routine. But for something to grow, it needs to be cared for. It needs to be fed. It needs to be nurtured. So how can we move toward a deeper, more committed relationship with God? Remind yourself why you love him and value him. Look at your past and the, way God, the ways God has worked in your life. Think about all the answered prayer. If you don't feel like you have a lot of answered prayer, figure out what you need to do to listen better, because he does answer them. Read your Bible with understanding what it asks of you in mind. Notice how consistent God is to remind yourself why you can trust him. And look specifically for the times when you don't. Intentionally look for ways to serve him by serving others and for opportunities to sacrifice on his behalf. When you do these things, you can't help but better understand who God is, to value him more, and to grow more deeply in love. When do you know you're getting there? 1 John 2, 3-5 says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Have you reached the point in your relationship where you can present your heart, your mind, your whole life to the Lord and honestly say, I'm all in? If not, what's holding you back? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you and we want to be obedient children. Help us to do what we need to do to, to grow even closer to you. Give us the, the wisdom to understand what you're calling us to do. Give us the willingness and the energy to do it. Help us to put you first and to hear your voice, to look for those opportunities to do your will and make our lives a willing sacrifice. Take away our fear, our selfishness, our feelings of inadequacy, the things that keep us from doing what we need to do and help us to rely on and tap into your strength. Help us to always remember that love is not a feeling that comes and goes, but it's a commitment that requires nurturing action. In Jesus' name, amen.